Around 8 p.m. on July 24, 2002, 44-year-old Clara Harris took a call from inside her silver S-Class Mercedes-Benz. The private eye she'd hired had just called to inform her that her husband, David Harris, had checked into a hotel. Not just any hotel, but the Nassau Bay Hilton in Houston, Texas, the same place where Clara and David had been married 10 years earlier. But tonight, David was there with another woman, his mistress, Gail Bridges. The news made Clara livid. Days earlier, David had agreed to call off the affair, but apparently the two were still sneaking around. She snapped her cell phone shut, then turned to her 16-year-old stepdaughter, Lindsay. She told her to drive. Half an hour later, Clara and Lindsay arrived at the hotel. Just as they entered the lobby, David walked out of the elevator, hand in hand with Gail. The sight pushed Clara over the edge. She lunged at the other woman and screamed, He's my husband. She punched Gail in the face and clawed at her shirt, but David yanked Clara away and pushed her to the ground. Then he escorted Gail out to the parking lot. Watching the brawl, Lindsay remembered what her mom had said earlier. I could kill him. Little did anyone know that by the end of the night, she would. Picture a murderer, a gangster, a thief. Did you picture a woman? We didn't think so. Society associates men with dangerous crimes. But what happens when the perpetrator is female? Every Wednesday, we examine the psychology, motivations, and atrocities of female criminals. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson, and you're listening to Female Criminals, a ParCast original. You can find episodes of Female Criminals and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Female Criminals for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Female Criminals in the search bar. Today, we're covering Clara Harris, a Colombian-born beauty queen and businesswoman who went from living the American dream to committing murder. This week, we'll look at Clara's successful career, her happy marriage, and how it all went very wrong. Next week, we'll cover the breakup of the Harris's marriage, David's tragic death, and the complex court case that followed. We've got all this coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. 
a new true crime podcast from the team behind Up and Vanished. In 2016, adventurer Justin Alexander was invited on a trek by an Indian holy man. They headed to a spiritual ground in the Himalayan mountains, a place beyond civilization. The holy man returned and said nothing, but Justin was never seen again. What happened to him? Dive into our investigation in Status Untraced. Available now. Listen for free on Spotify. Clara Suarez grew up in the vibrant city of Bogota, Colombia. It was a melting pot of different cultures and traditions. It also was a city of contrasts. The Andes Mountains soared over graffiti-covered shantytowns. The gap between the well-off and the poor grew wider every year. Clara's parents weren't on the wealthy side of that divide. Her mother was a dressmaker for members of Bogota society. Her father's career is unknown, but they did everything in their power to ensure that Clara was loved and safe. But this wasn't always easy. During Clara's childhood and adolescence, drug trafficking reached an all-time high. On the outskirts of town, shootings were rampant. Violence was an accepted part of life. Clara's father encouraged her to look beyond her circumstances. He wanted her to aspire to a better life, always. When he died in 1964, it left six-year-old Clara with only the memories of his unrealized goals for her. His passing was a blow to the entire family, but his absence seemed to be a catalyst. Clara was determined to fulfill all of the goals her father had for her, including the one he wanted for her more than anything else in the world, to go to America and build a better life for herself there. As she got older, Clara became an overachiever. It was as if her father was still there, encouraging her to succeed. It was this support she channeled every time she studied for tests, completed extra credit assignments, and filled out applications for colleges. But while her father's death may have fueled her ambition, it also had an impact on her psychological development. Before we continue with Clara's psychology, I'm not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but I've done a lot of research for this show. According to researchers Gordon Flett and Paul Hewitt, perfectionists tend to measure themselves not only by their achievements, but also by the validation they receive from others. Clara's perfectionism may have come from a need to impress her father, but he wasn't alive to give her his approval. Because she lacked this crucial element, her perfectionism went unchecked. There was no end to her need to achieve. Nothing she did ever felt like it was enough. This may have been what led Clara to study dentistry. Dentistry wasn't a common career path in 1970s Colombia. In 1969, there were only four dental schools in the entire country. The program was so rigorous, and even today, a large number of students never go on to actually receive their degree. Clara may have been attracted to the field simply because it was so rare and so difficult a path to follow. 
By the time she was in her late 20s, Clara had earned her dentistry degree and started her own practice in Bogota. It was a big achievement, but she'd never forgotten her childhood dream of moving to America. Now she set her sights on owning her own dental practice in the U.S. By 1986, 28-year-old Clara had finally saved up enough money to make the big move. But just relocating to the States wasn't enough. Once there, she knew she'd have to get an American degree before she could start her own practice. So she enrolled in Washington University in St. Louis. Four years later, she moved to Houston for a one-year residency at the dental branch of the University of Texas. It was a lot for anyone to take on, but if she ever struggled during this time, Clara kept it to herself. After all, part of her perfectionism meant putting on a brave face and hiding her weaknesses. In June of 1991, 33-year-old Clara finally finished the American chapter of her education. She crossed the stage and received her certificate of completion from the Houston Dental Branch. Now she could open a practice of her own. Finally, she was this close to realizing her father's dream. But first, Clara decided to take a short detour from dentistry. She enrolled in a local beauty pageant. The contestants were all Colombian-born young women now living in Houston. They were supposed to exhibit grace, beauty, and poise, as well as traditional Colombian values. Clara was inspired by her memories of the beautiful women on the streets of Bogota. Performing on a stage in front of an audience was new to her, but it was a challenge she happily took on. With her shiny red hair and beautiful smile, Clara stood out. Her striking features, including a beauty mark on her left cheek, made it hard for judges to forget her. She waved from the stage, answering the judges' questions with intelligence, and charmed them completely. As it turned out, being the perfect contestant came as easily to her as being the perfect student. Sure enough, Clara won the competition and became 1991's Miss Columbia Houston. According to clinical psychologist Joe Lamble, women who engage in beauty pageants are often wrapped up in success. They will often seek the validation that comes from winning and will use competition to absolve feelings of inadequacy. It wasn't enough that Clara had already received two university degrees and had opened up her own business in Colombia. Entering the pageant was an opportunity for her to gain even more external approval. With a dental degree and a beauty pageant victory under her belt, Clara felt like anything was possible. Now she turned her attention to the one thing her life lacked, love. Up until now, romance had never been Clara's priority. She had too many goals to fulfill. Now she could finally focus on finding Mr. Right. It didn't take long. After graduating, Clara took a position as a dentist at a Castle Dental Center in Houston. There, she met an orthodontist named David Harris. 33-year-old David had graduated at the top of his class from the same dental school in Houston that Clara attended. 
He was also good-looking and funny. He had a five-year-old daughter from a previous marriage, but by the time he met Clara, his divorce was final. He was completely available. Once David and Clara started dating, things moved quickly. David called his father to gush over the woman he'd just met. He was as taken with Clara as she was with him. By February of the following year, about six months into their relationship, the two were married. Clara had everything she wanted, the career of her dreams, and a loving, committed relationship. But for David, he may have begun to notice something troubling about his wife. She seemed to want a father figure more than a husband. And when he couldn't give that to her, there would be dire consequences for their marriage. Coming up, Clara's pursuit of the perfect life starts to drive a wedge between her and her husband. Hi, listeners. Here's a series I think you're really going to like. We all know that medical professionals are trained to give exceptional care. But what about those who use their skills not to heal, but hurt? In the new ParCast series, Medical Murders, you'll discover a disturbing diagnosis that not every doctor wants to extend your life. Every Wednesday, Medical Murders introduces you to the worst the medical community has to offer. Men and women who took an oath to save lives, but instead used their expertise to develop more sinister specialties. Join host Alastair Murden as he examines the formative years and motives of history's most infamous killers. Dissecting their medical backgrounds with expert analysis and professional insight provided by practicing MD, Dr. David Kipper. You'll investigate a wide range of heinous healthcare workers, like the general practitioner believed to be the most prolific serial killer in modern history, or the dentist who led a double life as a hitman, or even the doctor and gang member who mixed deadly potions for unhappy housewives to use on their husbands. When it comes to these true crime stories, the only thing the doctor ordered is murder. Follow Medical Murders free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Now, back to the story. In 1991... 33-year-old Clara Suarez and 33-year-old David Harris met while working together at a Castle Dental Center in Houston. Their relationship moved quickly. By all accounts, David was a catch, and Clara knew he was her Mr. Right. On Valentine's Day in 1992, they married at the Yacht Club adjacent to the Nassau Bay Hilton Hotel. It was a perfect day for Clara, who wanted nothing more than to marry the man who stood across from her. And when they said, I do, tears welled up in Clara's eyes. She'd finally found the man who could provide the love and attention she'd always wanted. In the months that followed, the two seemed genuinely happy. Wherever the pair went, Clara would be on David's arm, grinning and giggling. 
David also supported her career. When 34-year-old Clara told David that she'd like to start working for herself, he encouraged her to leave her job and open up her very own dental practice. Over the next few months, she worked on hiring staff and generating a client base, and by the following year, she was ready to expand the business. In April of 1993, Clara bought out the practice of a retiring dentist and collected a new group of patients. This office was in a more rural region than her first one. Though sometimes her schedule got hectic, Clara found herself comfortable being busy. Inspired by Clara's success, David followed suit. He left Castle Dental Center and started his own practice called Space Center Orthodontics. With each of them now heading up their own practice, they decided they'd work hand in hand. Clara would make visits to David's office every Friday, and he would come to hers on Mondays. That way, David could offer orthodontia services to Clara's patients while she performed dental work on his. And since they were already involved with one another's businesses, they decided to take things a step further and become partners. The two then spent the next several years expanding their dental empire. They eventually co-owned six offices in the Houston area. From the outside looking in, they were a vision of success. A couple who shared everything, a successful business and happy home life. But while Clara and David's career was booming, their marriage was on shaky ground. For one thing, Clara was insecure and indecisive. Making business decisions was difficult for her without input from David. And more than that, she needed him to affirm for her that her choices were the right ones. David, on the other hand, didn't want to ask for her input, but felt forced to. Clara's majority ownership meant that he had to seek her constant approval. As a result, there was nothing David felt was totally his. Meanwhile, her constant calls to David to check in on operations irritated him. He felt micromanaged. At home, however, it was a different story. Clara idealized David. She made every effort to kowtow to his needs, wanting to please him. In an article for Texas Monthly, one of her co-workers remarked, for Clara, it was always David, David, David. I used to tell people that I wished I could be able to love my husband in the same way that Clara loved David. However, Clara's idealization may have had more to do with her needs than with his. Clara may have suffered from a psychological condition called Dependent Personality Disorder, or DPD. A person with this condition depends on others to meet their emotional and physical needs, cultivating extreme cases of psychological dependence in relationships. Sam Vaknin, the author of Malignant Self-Love, Narcissism Revisited, found that those with DPD often take on the role of victim to manipulate their partner into taking on the role of savior. As Vaknin explains, the aim of someone with DPD is to prevent their victims from deserting them or from attaining true autonomy. He also refers to some dependents as inverted narcissists. 
Instead of being boastful or arrogant, this type of narcissist will typically be self-effacing or introverted. Those with this condition will then find exclusively narcissistic partners, providing unlimited supplies of gratitude, love, and attention while caretaking almost compulsively. Initially, David enjoyed Clara's admiration, but it soon grew overbearing. He likely began to realize it stemmed from losing her father at such a young age. She wanted David to give her the affirmation her father had never been able to. But David couldn't fill the void left by the man she'd looked up to all her life. What's more, he didn't want to. Instead, David felt smothered. Clara's emotional needs were too much for him because he couldn't fulfill them. Sometimes it became easier to just shut them out. Whenever he needed space, David turned to his work. His primary goal was expanding the company. Many evenings, he'd stay at work late. Of course, for Clara, this was an indication that she needed to try harder. She needed to be the perfect wife. And in Clara's mind, that meant giving David a family. Between 1993 and 1996, Clara and David tried to get pregnant, but with no success. Clara felt a deep sense of failure over this, but she refused to accept defeat. She visited a fertility center and began undergoing treatments. Still, nothing worked. Finally, in late 1997, she discovered she was pregnant. The following year, 40-year-old Clara gave birth to twin boys. At the hospital, she wept as she held the babies in her arms. The look on David's face validated everything she'd gone through to conceive. He gazed at their sons with the adoration she had always wanted from him. When Brian and Bradley came home from the hospital, Clara felt like life was complete. And it was. Together, she and David had not only created an impressive dental empire, they'd also formed the cozy and comfortable home life Clara had never had as a child. Their palatial brick house stood on three and a half acres just beside a creek. It boasted three pianos, a spacious kitchen, and a music room. Even the name of their suburb, Friendswood, was adorable. But Clara's domestic bliss wouldn't last long. When they brought the boys home, she'd planned to take some time off to be home with them. She didn't want to miss a moment. But David had other ideas. He had his eye on another property he wanted to buy for their dental practice. On top of that, a new mortgage and two young children would take a financial toll. David didn't want the twins to be a setback for them. So to keep David happy, Clara kept working. She continued to put in the same long hours she had before the kids. To take care of them, she hired a full-time nanny. At first, Clara relished being back at the office. It was the place she didn't have to be the homemaker who had it all figured out. She received more validation from work anyway. At home, she often felt like a failure. But putting in overtime at the office wasn't the self-care she needed. Now a busy working mother, she stopped paying attention to herself. Her looks had once been a priority for her. Now she simply didn't have the time to spend on them anymore. 
Then one of the boys, Bradley, developed asthma. This made regular activities for the twins more difficult because there was always the chance that Bradley would have trouble breathing. Clara's life became even more stressful. For the next three years, between 1998 and 2001, Clara found herself under more and more pressure. She was dissatisfied with who she was becoming, but she couldn't confide in David. She didn't like being vulnerable, and she didn't dare admit her faults. At the same time, she continued to put David on a pedestal. To Clara, it was her job to take care of the kids and make sure David's home life was as calm as possible. But this attitude only pushed David further away. According to psychologist Joshua Coleman, women can frequently fall into the habit of gatekeeping or assuming their standards are the right standards. Coleman explains that this behavior can make fathers feel useless. It can also cause them to retreat. Clara may have thought she was making parenting more pleasant for David by keeping him out of it half the time. David didn't take much to being a father at first, so Clara assumed it was her duty to do most of the work. When he wanted to spend time in his music room, she let him. When a diaper needed to be changed, Clara or the nanny took care of it. But she was inadvertently acting as a gatekeeper. David sensed this. He later confided in his daughter that she didn't know what it was like at home between him and Clara. He also took to criticizing Clara, insisting she bought too many toys for the boys and too many decorations for the house. But worse than his judgments of Clara was his withdrawal from their day-to-day -day life. David began retreating into his work. By 2001, 43-year-old David had become completely entrenched in the dental practice. With Clara's blessing, he began overseeing construction on a new office, but soon he found a new outlet for his attention, his flirtatious young receptionist. Coming up, Clara's marriage takes a turn for the worse as David begins an affair. Now back to the story. When 38-year-old Gail Bridges began working at Space Center Orthodontics in August 2001, 43-year-old David Harris quickly took notice of his attractive, dark-eyed employee. Her black hair and bright smile brought him a sense of warmth he'd missed from his wife in recent years. David managed to make time to stop at her desk as often as possible, despite his busy schedule. The two always seemed to have a lot to chat about. Their harmless flirtation escalated as fall turned into winter. Five months later, in February 2002, David asked Gail to lunch. Lunch turned into clandestine dinners at spots that soon became their favorites. It didn't matter to David that he and Clara were about to celebrate 10 years of marriage. Now all David could think about was Gail. At the office, it became harder to conceal their attraction to one another. Some of the employees began to notice. One of them was Susan Hansen, who managed the business aspects of the dental practice. She had watched Clara and David build up their business over the years. Now, it was as though David was willing to put that all on the line 
just to frolic around with Gail. David had always put his patience first, but now Gail seemed to command his undivided attention. In some instances, Gail even interrupted David when he was in the middle of an appointment. While Susan felt concerned about the increasing attention that David gave his new receptionist and even suspected that the two were having sex, she didn't tell Clara. But another employee eventually did. Diana Sherrill also noticed David's strange behavior. She was a clerical worker in Clara's office and had spent a lot of time around Clara and David over the four years that she'd worked for them, both in and out of the office. So it was strange to see Gail behave so intimately with David, particularly one afternoon when the management team went out to lunch. Clara was absent from the group that day, but Gail didn't seem to mind. She settled herself into the front passenger seat of David's car and touched his chest playfully as he drove. She even seemed to know where he kept his sunglasses and loose change, as if she'd been in the car before. But Diana's suspicions really came alive when she witnessed Gail give her opinion on the construction of the new office. The project had been David's baby, and he'd not taken kindly to unsolicited advice. But now he was agreeing with Gail, without even consulting Clara first. Diana was alarmed. It seemed obvious the two were having an affair. The only one who didn't suspect anything was Clara, until the spring turned to summer and Clara noticed strange changes in David's lifestyle. First, David lost 20 pounds. He also grew more critical of Clara. And when she'd call him at work, it would take him a while to call her back. A cold front formed between the two of them. But in Clara's heart of hearts, she wanted David to show interest in her as he once had. The final straw came in May of 2002, when Clara was invited to serve as matron of honor at her cousin's wedding in Colombia. She was thrilled to return to her home country, if only briefly, and she even got a plane ticket for her son, Brian. But David was angry. He didn't approve of Clara frittering money away on plane tickets. According to David, any extra money needed to go into building the new office. Clara felt guilty for buying the ticket, but she went anyway. By the time she returned from the trip, David seemed to have dropped any interest in her altogether. Now, when he returned home from work, he would take calls or retreat to his music room. As Clara hurried to get her boys ready for bed, David would play his drums or piano in solitude. But Clara's focus remained on keeping her family and clients happy, oblivious to the fact that David was cheating on her. Unfortunately, David's employees couldn't turn a blind eye to the affair, and neither could David's 16-year-old daughter, Lindsay. One summer day, while visiting her dad's dental practice, Lindsay couldn't help but notice Gail making eyes at her dad from behind the reception desk. At one point, David dropped a patient file on the floor. Gail promptly stood to fetch the folder from the ground. As she reached for it, she bent over slowly, directing her backside at David provocatively. Lindsay couldn't believe her eyes. 
Not only was she uncomfortable with Gail's behavior, she felt angry that her father didn't have a problem with it. The blatant flirting alarmed Lindsay, who had never before questioned her father and Clara's marriage. Worried, Lindsay confided in Susan Hansen, who recommended she talk to her father about the incident, but she wasn't so sure she wanted to do that. Meanwhile, Diana Sherrill wrestled with the same dilemma. Ever since Diana had witnessed the odd lunch trip in February, she'd felt uncomfortable keeping Clara in the dark. To justify it, she'd told herself that her hunch about the two wasn't well-founded. But when Diana joined David and Gail on a visit to his newly built office in early July 2002, she saw something she couldn't misinterpret. Sometime during the afternoon, Gail and David snuck off together, and they didn't return for some time. Diana decided it was finally time to tell Clara about her suspicions. Days later, on the morning of July 16, 2002, Diana approached her boss and asked to speak with her. She warned Clara, You need to protect your marriage. You need to pay attention to Dr. David. Clara asked Diana point-blank if her husband was having an affair. Diana said yes. Clara said nothing. All she did was purse her lips. But inside, Clara was reeling. Afterwards, Clara didn't go to David's dental practice to confront him. Instead, she went to the salon to get her hair colored. In her mind, if David was having an affair, the first thing she needed to do was improve herself. After all, she still had David on a pedestal. He couldn't be wrong. The affair must have been Clara's fault, and she knew why. After the boys were born, she'd gained weight and lost sight of her first priority, pleasing her husband. According to researchers Mihaila Alexandra German, Laura Arhiri, and Daniela Muntele, insecurity can cause a woman to blame herself for her partner's infidelity in a relationship. Because Clara wasn't secure in who she was and had been, she thought that if she took the blame for David's affair, she could put an end to it. But changing her looks wouldn't be enough to win her husband back. Their issues were much deeper than that, whether Clara believed it or not. When she got home from the salon, David sensed something was wrong. He followed her upstairs to the bedroom. She asked him, do you love me? David stared at her with uncertainty. He finally said, I don't know. That night, she didn't ask him about Gail Bridges. The following morning, however, he admitted that there was someone else. Clara lost it. She cried again and said that she would get an attorney, but he grabbed her arms and insisted they do anything but get a divorce. With their business booming and the new office under construction, David was too invested to split assets now. Clara agreed with him, but she felt conflicted at the prospect of staying. Frustrated, Clara ran downstairs and confided in Lindsay about the affair, but her stepdaughter already knew. Then Lindsay shared that everyone at the office knew about the affair as well. This changed everything for Clara. She ran back upstairs and slapped her husband in the face. 
When David refused to apologize, she felt even worse. What's more, he said he liked the way that Gail worked out and that she had similar interests to him. Clara decided then and there to better herself so she could save the marriage. But until she got into shape, firing Gail was the only course of action. She got in the car, dragging David and Lindsay along. She drove straight to the office where she fired Gail herself. That afternoon, David and Clara both felt shaken by the recent revelations that had emerged. As much as she hoped David would make the right choice and cut off Gail once and for all, Clara had a feeling she would have to intervene. She decided to hire a private eye. She wanted the dirtiest details of Gail's past. Then she'd use them to show David that Gail didn't love him and had never loved him. Instead, she was out to steal his money. That was easier to believe than accept the fact that he'd fallen for someone else. But while Clara chose to believe that David was simply trapped in Gail's thick web of lies, Clara was actually the one lying to herself. Because her husband wasn't truly willing to change for her, he no longer loved her. And this revelation would soon be the undoing of Clara Harris. Thanks again for tuning in to Female Criminals. We'll be back next week with part two of the Clara Harris story. We'll follow Clara's misguided attempts at restoring her marriage, the gruesome slaying of David Harris that followed, and the trial that took America by storm. For more information on Clara Harris, among the many sources we used, we found Out of Control, the Clara Harris murder case by Stephen Long to be extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Female Criminals and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast Originals, like Female Criminals, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Female Criminals on Spotify, just open the app and type Female Criminals in the search bar. We'll see you next time. Female Criminals was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Female Criminals was written by Lauren DeLille, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Killer nurses, deranged doctors, mad scientists. Don't forget to check out the new ParCast original series, Medical Murders. Every Wednesday, meet the worst the medical community has to offer. Men and women who took an oath to save lives, but instead use their expertise to develop more sinister specialties. Follow Medical Murders free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.